This is the Movie Hall of Fame, class of 1978, for Friday, August 28th, 2020. Adam Hall, Nico. What's up, my guy? What's going on? Nothing. How's everything doing? Just chilling. <laughs> Just chilling here in the, your room? Are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> what do you want me to say? Little inside joke here, people. No, <laughs> don't worry about it whatsoever. <laughs> uh, it's it's like very rainy outside. Yeah. It's very rainy. A lot of bad things happen. A lot of bad things happening yeah. in the world. Yeah, I murdered Nico's family. You know, it's yeah. He, he murdered my family I'm, in front I'm, of me. I'm and forcing him to do this podcast right at gunpoint. Now. Yeah, 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 pretty much. That's what's happening. Uh, it certainly feels that way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The NBA is like almost going to cancel the season and they didn't cancel. I I don't know. I'm having a rough week. That's okay. I'm having a tough week. We all fall down, Nico. (laughs) It's true. We all, (laughs) we've all spent some time in the Turkish prison of our own making. That's very true. You know, (laughs) where is your Turkish prison? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Leslie Nielsen. I have spent some time in a Turkish prison. I know exactly how it feels as a matter of fact. God, Uh, We're here talking about movies because movies are fun. Movies are a good time. Yeah. I love movies. They're my escape from the world. Oh, are you finally admitting that movies are a wonderful escape and that's kind of what they're best for? I'm, I'm finally admitting that movies are cool. Yeah. Thank you. Finally, <laughs> they could be cool. You know, a year and a half into this podcast, I think I've finally come to the conclusion movies pretty good. Yeah, me too. I agree. Have you watched any recently? Uh, I watched one for this podcast and then I went to the theater and I saw a movie. Yeah. Hallelujah. Wow. Yeah. And it was unhinged. Yes. Okay. Yes, starring Mark Hamill and Harrison Ford for some reason. It was very weird. It was very. It resembled Empire Strikes Back quite uncannily. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, it was. It was a fantastic film. So you enjoyed the film Empire Strikes Back? It was that's what it was. Is that your review of oh. the film Empire Strikes Back? Yes, it was good. It was amazing. Yes, of course, of course. Cool. What a movie to go back to the theater and see. By the way, hasn't aged one iota. Yeah, very important to note. Like, oh wow, I was actually kind of stunned by how just like flawlessly that movie works today. Wow. Yeah, I was like, oh my god, this is so awesome up on the screen. Right. I was oh, having Battle of Hoth on the big screen, yeah. dude. Maybe I should go out there and and see it. I don't know if it's still showing. It does a great job at emphasizing scale. Uh, yeah. in a way that you didn't understand before, and just the sound as well, of course, but. Like I always, I always need to make that point. Like, oh my god, the sound's so good. Yeah, sometimes I find like when you go to an older movie in the theater, the sound isn't a hundred percent up to snuff because like the surround sound technology wasn't there, and I feel like sometimes they don't turn it up enough. But you're saying that it was good here. Yeah, yeah, cool. So I had a blast. That was one of my problems when I saw Ghostbusters. I'm like, no, the sound here is just very underwhelming. Interesting, you know. Like there's something doesn't compute. Like I'm in a movie theater, but this doesn't seem like a movie I should be seeing in a movie theater. Yeah. You know, Christopher Nolan's movies are just going to age terribly. Yeah. Chris Nolan movies are kind of like that. Apparently. <laughs> so what's the deal? We see in Tenet? Well, yeah, we'll see it. I, I hear they're doing screenings on Monday. Should okay. we go? Want to pre-order some ticks? Yeah. Okay. Man, I don't know what to expect with this one. Next week? I hear so many funny things across the board. It's interesting. I shouldn't do that. I hate. Yeah. I really shouldn't listen to reviews. The but, discourse? Yeah. I mean, it's just people are hungry. They're hungry for catnip. 
<laughs> Very, is that what it is? Yeah, they want their nerd catnip. And, yeah, you what know, it, they're hungry for Zoe Kravitz. Sure, they got it in the form of a <laughs> exactly a Batman trailer and uh, and Tenant starring the same guy. As a matter of fact, supposedly, if we go and see Tenant, there will be a Dune trailer. Supposedly, is that right? That's right. Okay, so that's that's why I want to go. Haven't see they Tenet? only shot like ten minutes of that movie? <laughs> <laughs> The first part is 10 minutes. How much of that movie is actually shot? (laughs) They've been done with it for a very long time. Have they? Yeah. This is all post-production they're doing? Yeah. Denis went back for like a couple reshoots, which he said he didn't even need to do. He just felt like doing them. Got it. Yeah. So that's what he did. Because I know the thing about the Batman is that's basically all the footage they shot is the stuff in the trailer. Which is quite sad, honestly. (laughs) They only have like 15 minutes done. No, no. Dune is, 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 uh, is done. They've, they've wrapped even like the, the reshoot process. So that's completely done. Cool. And right now they're just, uh, working on the post and it's half of the book. So, okay. We'll see what happens. Fun. Yeah. All right. Might not see any sandworms, which is annoying, but uh-huh. Well, yeah. if it's half the book, you should see some fucking sandworms because there are sandworms in the first half of Dune. Okay, they're not a third act thing. They are a big. They're a big, big deal in the third act. Actually, Got bigger it. deal in the third act. Uh, but yeah, like that would be weird if you didn't see any of those iconic monsters. I want to see some sandworms. That's the I can one. show you a sandworm. No, oh, yeah, <laughs> I have a great literary joke about my penis size. Oh, lovely! And, and that's that's. Only fans of Dune would understand. Okay, so I won't. So brace yourselves. Exactly yes. zero people in the audience. It's a. It's a exactly. Make a the joke. joke. No, Make- no. You have. We have to wait. Oh, we have to wait. Oh, you're okay. So you're workshopping material so, already, so that you understand the joke. Got it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you're saving this thing up. Yeah. <laughs> It's like the for sh- five months. It's like the shittiest dad joke you've ever heard in your life. Well, actually, I, I don't want to call it a dad joke because I can't imagine a dad. Let's move on. <laughs> I watched Birds of Prey. Oh, God. Oh, boy. How was that? (laughs) Oh, Jesus. You know what? It's not bad. Yeah. It's honestly not bad. Like, everyone's comparing it to Deadpool, and it's kind of Deadpool, but I liked it way more than Deadpool. I know low bar for me, but I, like, found the action to be very compelling, and I love Margot Robbie. Um, the supporting cast is, you know, neither here nor there, and the script is a little undercooked. But I'm not sure I like her as that character anymore. Really, I'm not sure I'm, I'm on board with her as that. It's just it's a shtick thing that doesn't work for me. Yeah. Didn't work for me in Suicide Squad, even though it was everyone's favorite part. And I'm like, what was your favorite part of Suicide Squad? Oh God, uh, the, the exactly the colon cancer it gave me. <laughs> I liked her in Birds of Prey. Okay. I liked it. I, th- I thought it was actually a good movie. I was pleasantly surprised. You and McGregor, go. Uh, weird accent again, but what else is new? Okay. And uh, yeah, fun. Okay. Having a good time. All right. You know you in these days. Sure. I, I no longer think you and McGregor is a viable American actor, but that's all right. <laughs> He's not an American. Though. No, I know, which is why he should just continue to make, you know, Irish movies. He's Scottish. Moving on. <laughs> I like Birds of Prey, though. You should check it out. Right. It's on HBO. All right. It, it killed some time on a Friday night. That's not a great compliment. It, it, it's honestly better than I thought it was going to be. Because okay. it, it is a, like February burn off. It, it did terrible at the box office. The critic reviews were even mixed on it. It definitely exceeded my expectations. Even Nick didn't like it that much. Nick thought that they were doing too much with the plot. And I went, all right. Yeah, but so does Deadpool. Not really. Not really. I enjoyed it. I thought it was significantly funnier than Deadpool. I laughed more times in Birds of Prey than I did in Deadpool. Okay. So, 
Anyway, uh, you want to do this? Yeah, let's just let's just jump into it. Let's do this. Okay. Uh, 1978. Five nominees for induction into the Movie Hall of Fame. They are National Lampoon's Animal House, Grease, Midnight Express, The Deer Hunter, and Halloween. What do you think? Um. Yeah, it's like there's there's two there's two clear obvious ones. Yep. I don't know. There might be a, a more like a number one though. I'm not sure. It depends on how we're feeling about uh, the directors of these movies. I think. I think the choice is incredibly obvious. You think so? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> I don't think there will be much deliberation, but we'll see. <laughs> we shall see. Uh, highest grossing movie in 1978: Superman. Should that be on this list? Uh, yeah. Probably, right? Yeah. Yeah. First superhero movie, right? First, well, like, commercially viable, viable superhero, superhero movie. superhero movie, yeah. 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 All the way in 1978. Uh, Grease, number two. Animal House, number three. Every Which Way But Loose was number four. <laughs> Clint Eastwood and a fucking orangutan. Is that what that is? Yeah, or a monkey or whatever it is. I've Chimpanzee. Never, I've never seen it. Every Which Way But Loose. Uh, and Heaven Can Wait, number five. A lot of, lot of heavens, a lot of gates going on. Uh in the year 1978 uh the oscars of course deer hunter wins best picture amongst a group of uh, coming home heaven can wait midnight express and an unmarried woman michael cimino wins best director for the deer hunter john voight wins best actor for coming home jane fonda wins best actress for coming home mm. walken wins best supporting for deer hunter and maggie smith wins best supporting actress for california suite Interesting list of, of best actor nominees. This is one of my favorite crops, I think. Okay. Just nothing but legends. Voight obviously wins. Warren Beatty <laughs> for Heaven Can Wait. Robert De Niro for The Deer Hunter. Lawrence Olivier, wow. The Boys from Brazil, and Gary Busey. <laughs> oh, for the Buddy Holly story. Buddy Holly story. Wow. <laughs> That's a great accent at the very end. Yeah. Yeah, great great little ingredient. One of these things is not like the other. <laughs> it's like this tastes so good, but what is that extra thing you threw in there? I'm missing some Gary. What is that? Missing some Busey. <laughs> Let's watch Predator 2. You'll get plenty of Gary Busey on why is this a thing. I love how Jake Busey has just made it his career to be Gary Busey. I know. I love it. Because that's who he is. He's carrying on the legacy quite well. What else is he supposed to do? Honestly, you look at that man, what else can he do besides Gary Busey? I like me some Jake Busey. Me too. I'm into it. Me too. He was in Mr. Robot season four. Yeah. Loved it. He's in everything I've seen him in, aside from The Predator, I liked him in. I don't hate him in The Predator, I just hate that movie. Yeah, yeah. That movie's just very, very Sh- not shitty. good. Shitty? Yeah. <laughs> very shitty. Honorable mentions. Uh, we said Superman already. Uh, we talked about Days of Heaven last week. Oh, we didn't! mention this we meant to mention this yeah we have to do this i totally forgot yeah okay so um last week <laughs> we did this podcast about uh about terrence malick and we talked about the movie days of heaven and i talked glowingly about um the little girl that narrated days of heaven it was an improvised narration and it was thought of as like sort of this uh iconic narration changed voiceover performances whatever the one, the uh, little girl's name was linda mans and we talked about linda mans glowingly on the podcast mm-hmm. and then i i don't know it was like surfing the web <laughs> and turns out linda mans died three days before we recorded the podcast and yeah. didn't mention it mm. and i'm that made me very sad yeah it made me feel sad too so what we're doing now 
is we're retroactively uh stripping the new world of its title <laughs> we're stripping it yeah okay we're taking it out of the hall of fame okay right and we could we could we could just also induct uh days of heaven no or you just want to induct the one well because we were talking about days of heaven getting in there anyway true and we did a coin flip yeah that's true yeah and now it just feels like you know had we had known linda mans was dead <laughs> it would have pushed it over the edge <laughs> i suppose so so what we're doing is we're retroactively inducting days of heaven into the movie hall of fame yeah that's okay Okay, I just wanted to get that out there. Okay. It happens. It happens. <laughs> uh, what else? Going South, Jack Nicholson comedy directed uh, and starred in it. Having a wait, I just mentioned. I Spit on Your Grave. You ever seen that? Uh, some of it. Yeah. The, the original is um i should actually say i technically have seen it now that i think about it it's i should i don't know why i'm thinking about it because it's a pretty unforgettable movie <laughs> and i mean it makes you want to vomit okay so there's that what what's so disgusting about it well there's a scene where a woman cuts off a man's penis in a bathtub oh cool that's always cool i've seen that there's a couple there's a there's a <laughs> a volley of scenes where she gets raped periodically within the procession of like, I don't know, 10 minutes. So she gets raped in one scene. She goes over to this place, gets raped there, goes over to this other section of woods, gets raped there. And then she's just like the first half of the movie is like her violent, violently being raped. And then, um, yeah, it's just about her taking revenge of the people that did that to her. Is it a good movie? Mm, It's, um, Wow, how best to describe it? Um, it's a confident movie. <laughs> Is he handsome? No, he's five hundred pounds, but he sure has confidence. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I'll take it. Have you seen the Invasion of the Body Snatchers remake? No, okay. I have not. But I, I, I it seems like something I would adore. Yeah, it seems like you should have done that already. The Wiz, nineteen seventy eight, such a strange movie. Sidney Lumet directed, and uh, I think Joel Schumacher wrote the script. Right? That sounds weird. Yeah, never I, seen that one. I oh, I saw it as a kid. Oh, I mean, it's just shitty Wizard of Oz with Michael Jackson. Is that all it is? Yeah, it's it's black. It's Black Wizard of Oz. Okay. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. It's good music, I guess. All right, all right. Uh, Buddy Holly story. Never seen it. Big Sleep. Never seen it. Piranha. Seen it. Good movie. Good movie. Solid movie. Solid movie. Not bad. And the best way to describe it is that it is solid and nothing else. Mm. Uh, La Cage Ox Fails. Ox Falles. That is the movie that the Birdcage is based off. It's oh. a French movie. I've never seen it. I need to get around to it because I was just watching Birdcage earlier this week. Oh, were you? Yeah. It's a good movie. I've seen that one. Have you? Yeah. Did you watch it recently? I watched it over at Abby's. When? Uh, I don't know, like like four months ago. Oh, yeah. we didn't talk about it. We do. We need to talk about Fossey, it. Fussy Fussy One. You do Madonna. Madonna. It's charming as hell. <laughs> How about those dolphins? <laughs> How about them dolphins? <laughs> it's a wonderful movie. How do I feel? Betrayed? <laughs> bewildered? Is that good? I'm not sure. <laughs> I have an image. It's a cliche, but an image. John Wayne. <laughs> the best. 
Revenge of the Pink Panther. We're going to do it one day, Adam. I have not seen a single Pink Panther anything. I mean, I've seen clips of Peter Sellers doing his thing, but I haven't actually sat down and watched anything Pink Panther aside from the Steve Martin movie. It's going to happen. So, yeah. It is going to happen. We are going to do it. Okay. Uh, Woody Allen's interiors. We talk enough about Woody on this podcast. Uh, and Coming Home, I think, could have snuck on there. I have not seen Coming Home, though. Me neither. And uh, I really ought to. I realize, like, this list is it. <laughs> it's, like, all I've seen <laughs> from this year. National Film Registry inducts Days of Heaven, uh, The Deer Hunter, Girlfriends. I don't know what that is. Halloween, Killer of Sheep, The Last Waltz, Animal House, and Superman. Cool. Again, I think this choice is obvious. I also think it, you could you could call this the weakest year of the 70s. Maybe. I don't know. There's some great movies on this list, but... There are. Sure. Okay. Uh, let's, let's begin. Let's just begin with a toga party. Mm. National Lampoon's Animal House. John Landis is the director. Stars John Belushi, Tom Hulse, Tim Matheson, Kevin Bacon in his first performance, on-screen performance. And Donald Sutherland, nominated for zero Academy Awards, if you can believe it. Number 36, all-time comedy, according to AFI, the American Film Institute. At a 1962 college, Dean Vernon Warmer is determined to expel the entire Delta Tau Chi fraternity, but those troublemakers have other plans for him. When is the first time you saw Animal House? I think I was eight. Okay. Eight years old. Okay. Was it too soon? No, no, but I mean, it's, it's a many, like, I, I want to say this is the first boobs I saw in a movie. I thought it, I, I, when reflecting on this, I think I, I recalled this before Titanic, uh-huh. at least, or at least when, every time I had seen Titanic, it must've been edited. But I, I remember like after the fact, I went back and saw Titanic and I was like, oh wait, there are boobs in this. Right. So I think this was my first experience, my first like visceral emotional reaction to it, I would say. Yes. Um, it's also one of the first rated R movies I ever saw alongside like alien and predator. Uh, Uh, first, like, like, I guess, I don't know, sophomore comedy as well Mm. in the purest sense. It's yeah. Um, man. Yeah. This is sort of a favorite of mine. Okay. Yeah. When was the last time you saw it? Mm, I don't know about, I probably saw it, uh, this year sometime actually, maybe. At the beginning of the year. Okay. So first time you saw it was age eight. Yeah. Last time you saw it was age 25. I mean, I've seen it many, many, and many times. times in between. Oh yeah. And for you, it has not changed in your estimation in any way. You love it just as much as 25 as you did at age eight. Yeah. I hate to say it, but I do. Okay. So I saw it probably around 13 or 14, <laughs> uh, because my parents were not letting me watch movies with boobs at the age of eight. Unlike you, who had already went through all of Salo. The they were letting... Sodom. Okay, my parents were not... I don't, you're, you're really <laughs> incriminating my parents here. Yeah. They weren't, like, making me watch this. Right. I just... You found it. I had friends. I had, like, older friends. Like, my brother was always the thing that, like, would introduce me. Oh, to stuff, it's like, the older brother thing, of yeah, course. And he yeah, had yeah, friends yeah, yeah, that yeah, had, yeah. like, the VHS of Animal House. Got it. And we would watch Animal House. Right. And I'd be like, what the fuck is this cover art? Sure. This looks amazing. And it was amazing. Yeah. So, okay. I saw the movie at 13. I remember thinking it was quite amusing at 13. I don't remember why, but that was the last time, the first and last time I saw Animal House. (laughs) Now, what I did not recall was number one, the boobs are a big part of this movie. Yeah. Like 
thirty percent of the appeal to a young boy <laughs> is the boobs. Sure, it's thirty percent. The other sixty-five percent is John Belushi, mm-hmm. and the other five percent is the rest. I think, like driving a motorcycle up a flight of stairs and sure. like breaking beer bottles over your head. Like yeah. I think that's the that's the calculus as far as I the can outrageous tell. scenarios. Yeah, right. So again, I remember 13 being like, this is cool. I watched it again a couple days ago, and I got to tell you, I don't fucking get it anymore. Wow. It's over. It's over. <laughs> you, you keep doing this. I keep man. doing this to myself. I'm killing my friends. It's like I'm killing old friends of mine. That's very weird. I'm just violating old memories that Well, it I doesn't have. sound like you liked it particularly much to begin with. I don't remember, really. Wow. I remember liking it in the way that every young boy is supposed to like it, because it's like, oh, wow, college dorm parties. Those must be fun. That's not how I pictured it. Okay. I just thought it, it was a insane comedy. I think even at that age, I knew that that's not what college was like at all. Okay. It was so hyper stylized in terms of like the, the portrayal of college and even these, these, these hooligans as well. It was like, there's just no way this is the way people behave uh-huh. or, or their outlook on life. There's no way they would get away with even a, a quarter of this stuff. Right. That's just not how it works. So I just appreciated it on the level of like an airplane comedy even though it's not that it's at all. not an airplane comedy but though. but just like the, just the silliness to it i suppose and sort of the the it's it's not mature but like more mature than me watching i don't know anchorman you know <laughs> i mean i don't know because it came out in 1978 what's more mature it's about our, this it, than anchorman it's r-rated it, it's drugs and alcohol I there's guess. lots of there's lots of fucking yeah you know, there's some rapey shit going on too man bit, yeah a lot oh a lot man yeah a lot of bit infidelity. There's a lot more like slightly mature ideas as opposed to something like Happy Gilmore. There's a yeah. scene in this movie where is it Tom Hulse? Yeah, is debating in his head, debating whether or not to rape a girl, yeah. and it is played for laughs. Yep, the girl is knocked out unconscious on his bed, and there's a devil on one shoulder being like "fucker, fucker, fucker," and then the angel going like "you'll regret it for the rest of your life." And it's never really explained what he does. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, I guess later he drops on. her off. Yeah. That's what makes it funny, though. Part of the reason why that scene is so hilarious to me is just because it, it's okay to play around with with offensive ideas. Yeah, no, as I'm long not, as you I'm don't, not saying that. If he went through with it and raped her, that would be a problem. But he doesn't do that. Okay, there's another scene where like the dorm is or the frat is defending themselves against like the board, whatever. They're under prosecution for something, yeah. and whoever is the spokesperson at the time goes. Were some liberties taken with female partygoers? Of course they were. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what is going on here? And then you got the peeping Tom scene of Uh, John Belushi going up the ladder. It's like one of the funniest scenes I've ever seen in a movie. But the joke is that they're naked. That's the joke. Yes. The joke is that these are naked women and John Belushi is enjoying it. Yes. What's the problem? <laughs> You're not doing it for real. It's not inviting no, this know, behavior. I know. No, but here's, I'm just asking, like, what's the joke? <laughs> Is it, it's, it's pretty much John Belushi's reaction to it. Right. Yeah. I always have a problem with humor that's like... Um, the situation itself is the joke. That's Seinfeld. <laughs> no, that's not. That's now. No, it's not Seinfeld. It's not. No, Seinfeld is how we comment on the situation is the joke. It's a situational comedy. Okay. I yes. Don't twist my words on me here. My only point is the joke here is John Belushi is looking at naked women. 
Yes. And we're supposed to laugh at the fact that John Belushi is laughing at naked women. It's sort of that. It's also just the audacity of him to just find a random ladder in the middle of nowhere, go up to it, and expect to just see women doing whatever in the bed. And what he finds are topless women having a, a fucking pillow fight. Having a pillow fight. And it, that's, that realization is so funny to me, from going like, I'm going to get a two, to getting a fucking 11. Right. You know, it's like... Right. <laughs> It's so funny. I guess. You don't find this movie funny. I don't. I didn't okay, laugh. that's that's a big problem. I didn't laugh. Yeah, that's ew. And I'm shocked I didn't laugh cuz like again, I I I don't care it's if like it's a, offensive. I don't care. I mean, I I will say I have more of a problem with sophomoric comedies at age 25 than I did at age 15. Yeah, this is better sophomoric comedy than like half of what Will Ferrell does though. Yeah. And, and I'm not going to hear the argument. Yeah, no, I, so. okay. Yeah, I guess. A late period Will Ferrell. Certainly. No, it's better than anything that he did, honestly. Is it better than Elf? Yeah. I laugh more at Elf than I do this, I, I, I think. No, I don't care. Okay. <laughs> it's much better than Elf. Okay. I, I just look at, like, The Hangover, and I think, oh, yeah, this is just a direct descendant of well, uh, that's very, Animal House. That's very true, though. And, I mean, a lot of what uh, Todd Phillips built the first part of his career off of was, like, ripping off uh, a lot of Animal sure. House. I mean, that's entirely what old school is. Yep. And I like old school enough, but that's all it is. It's mm-hmm. just a rip off of Animal House in the purest sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah, dude, this is like a top 10 comedy for me. Wow. It's fantastic. It's really funny. It's really, really, it's like a scene by scene, like, like Annie Oakley, boom, boom, boom comedy every second, you know? Wow. Yeah. I don't think I've, I've laughed so hard just on like a sudden moment than when the horse is just dead in. (laughs) Oh, that's funny stuff. And then they're measuring him through the door. Like this ain't gonna fit. And the guy brings in a fucking chainsaw. (laughs) To cut the thing in half in the office. <laughs> That's the movie you're in. Yeah, I guess. That's the movie you are in. I. It's never pronounced enough, though, to be like it's airplane. No, but this is kind of what I like about it is that it's understated just a little bit and in a way that makes it funnier. Yeah. To me. Okay. The I, fact that there's there is a, some veneer of reality here. Maybe it's just in the, the, the stylistic execution of things more uh-huh. than anything. But to place that 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 style in what is otherwise the most outrageous kind of shit you've seen is just hilarious to me even when he's just like taking every single thing at the buffet oh my god it cracks me up yeah it's so i mean the funny. pimple the pimple what am i am is it i'm actually i just find it funnier when he's just taking all that shit it's, right it's funny at first when he's got a shit ton of stuff on his plate but then he just keeps going it's all belushi though man this this movie is just it is belushi is carrying this thing on his back because mm-hmm. there really aren't any other memorable performances like donald sutherland is kind of weird in it oh donald sutherland's one of my favorite characters yeah yeah everything he says just cracks me up (laughs) i've been working on it for years oh it must be pretty good it's a piece of shit (laughs) it's just this understatement would you like would you like to smoke some pot have you ever smoked pot before he's such a creep it's so funny to me the best line in this movie is when uh belushi is making the comment about the germans bombing pearl harbor (laughs) and this is the thing that actually my dad and i quote to each other all the time is like (laughs) He goes, wait a minute, the Germans? And he goes, forget it, he's rolling. (laughs) Forget it, he's rolling. We say that all the time. Anytime like we're having an argument with someone and someone's like soapboxing, but they get a fact wrong. Like you ever like get in a political argument with someone? And it's like, and it's like, wait, that wasn't correct. Yes. Back when Alexander Hamilton was president (laughs) and it's like, forget it. He's like the essence of it is good enough. Yeah. I'm not sure that's like all that funny to me. I love the line where he's like, was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Like, that's kind of funny. That's, that's not, not my humor. That's the, the humor is in the moment afterwards. When he runs away? No, the moment when he says, forget it, he's rolling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, to me, that's the joke. Mm-hmm. You know, the joke is that, like, 
is he is the the uh, the Spartacus figure, right, for this dorm. However, he is like not as noble as Spartacus figure as Spartacus. But we're following him because we have no one else to follow. <laughs> that idea is funny. The fact yeah, that that's the premise people. of that joke. Yeah, but, the, but John Belushi getting on the ladder and looking at nude women and then just falling over is not. There's no premise there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. And like a food fight. What's the premise of a food fight? It's just that they're throwing food at each other. That's not. That's just like charming, though. It's just fun. The the, the most of the comedy in that scene is played beforehand. I mean, even just like the, I, I don't know, man. I think the the littler moments where it's just characters commenting on a situation, like with uh, specifically um, uh, Donald Sutherland's character. One of my favorite scenes in the movie is where he starts off the class and everyone's just bored to tears, and he's talking about Satan, and he ends the the lecture by saying, "Everything I'm, I'm saying is just bullshit, guys. Yeah. It doesn't fucking I don't matter. get it. I, I don't get it as much." And then the bell rings and everyone starts leaving, and he's just dumbfounded. And he's like. I'm not joking. This yeah. is my job. Right. right. <laughs> that cracks me up so much. <laughs> I think when you said that, like some of that stuff, it's just charming and just like, you well, know. the food fights charming. Yeah. I do think a lot of the appeal of this movie is that like, I think it is kids of a certain a age. I mean, this came from the national lampoon, which started, I think it's a Harvard publication or Yale Harvard. I think, I think so. Uh, a bunch of the creators of national lampoon, whatever they started writing pieces in the magazine about their college experiences those articles get turned into a screenplay. The screenplay becomes a movie. So it's like based on a lot of like real life college experience. And as a result, sort of informed college experiences mm. afterwards, people started having toga parties again yeah. because it, because of this movie, the line toga, 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 mm. you know what that's from, even if you haven't seen the movie. And I do think a lot of it is just people long for that time in their lives or if they never went to college or were never part of a frat like they wanted to be involved with something like this i guess but i just don't i never watched it that way it's just it's just funny dude it's just hilarious i don't know like uh, like i said on a see even the, the guy the flounder character just everything that comes out of his mouth just cracks me up everything yeah the band scene where they, where they're were they the only white guys they, there and they, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> may we dance with the old dates? That scene too. That it's what is it? <laughs> Certainly, or something like that. And then they get up and leave. It's like when they, as soon as they walk in, and then everyone in the in the in the bar just stares at them, stops right. the music instantaneously. Sure, I've also been in that situation too, Me and it's too. always funny. Yeah yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. It's good. Well, I guess the studio was worried about that coming across as racist or something. Here, here's the story. I found this um, on IMDb. According to John Landis, Universal President Ned Tannen objected so strongly to that that club scene that he interrupted a screening of the film and ordered the scene be removed immediately, claiming it would cause race riots in the theaters. In response, Landis screened the film for Richard Pryor, who wrote a note to Tannen, which read, quote, Ned, Animal House is fucking funny and white people are crazy. <laughs> Richard. <laughs> there you go. Hey, just like go with it. If Richard Pryor says it's funny. Yes, dude. that's it. He's the he is the end all be all, right? Come on. There is no one more qualified to say if that's funny than Richard Pryor. This does have a like a top three. It might be my favorite comedy moment ever because of how much it relates to me is when they're having the toga party and uh there's that fucking asshole with his acoustic guitar sitting on the stairs Belushi smashes trying to serenade the women. I have wanted to be John Belushi in that situation. At least a thousand times. Today is going to be the day that they're going to come back to you. Uh, <laughs> I had a cherry. Uh. 
It's something unpredictable. And the end is right. Like, fuck that guy. Oh, I hated my oh, dorm. It's the worst. How awful is the dorm room? Dorms are overrated. But this is what I, fucking assholes just play serenading with their guitar. Mm. Also, it's by the, the way, same fucking song. Oh, it's, but this is the thing like those crazy like ideas in this that are actually oddly relatable. That's maybe one of the more relatable movie moments. Yeah, man. And listen, I understand that it is an influential comedy. It sort of spawned a whole generation of just, you know, douchebag frat guys that sure. were empowered to make movies. Whatever. You can say whatever you want about all of those. Some of them are charming. Definitely the best version. I mean, it's the original. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, it's hilarious, dude. Started John Landis's yeah. career. I don't think it's John Landis's best movie. No, I don't think so. Either. No, I think American Werewolf in London is by far and away better than this. Not by that much, but it's probably better. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is a great film. Um, I, I, I understand that. Like, it's cultural relevance. I was just stunned how 10 years later, I think maybe I hit it too soon and I hit it too late. It's like I, I saw it before I knew what college was like if i was like in a frat mm. maybe we're talking i don't maybe know i would have loved this movie uh, i don't know i don't think that's what makes that i don't think that's the appeal of the movie though i just don't believe that i just think it's the, the pure comedy i think it's also the characters yeah i mean one of the thing, the great things about this movie is how endearing a lot of these characters are and that's sort of what people revisit they just love these people as as stupid as they can be yeah. fair enough all right let's move on mm-hmm. that's animal house um Greece. Greece is next. Oh, God. <laughs> oh boy. Do you know my thoughts on Greece? Have we talked about Greece in the past? Not entirely. Okay. Directed by Randall Kleiser, never heard of him again. No. Uh starring John Travolta, Olivia Newton John, and Stockard Channing as Rizzo. Nominated for Best Original Song. Do you know what song was nominated for Best Original Song? Is it Grease Lightning? It's not. It's hopelessly devoted to you. Okay. Yeah. AFI says it's the number 97 love story of all time. <laughs> what? Number 70 song of all time, but they didn't go with hopelessly devoted. They went with summer nights. Okay. That's that. I agree with and number 20 musical of all time. Seems fucking low. Good girl. Sandy Olson and greaser. Danny Zuko fall in love over the summer when they unexpectedly discover they're now in the same high school. Will they ever be able to rekindle their <laughs> romance? They're summer loving. Adam. Yeah. Happens so fast. Mm-hmm. Summer loving left you at last. Um, okay. So, Grace. Yeah. Here's the deal with Grace. Um, I love Grace. Mm-hmm. But I know one person that loves Grace more than me. Who's that? Zach Caponico. Yes. <laughs> yep. Uh, when Zach and I started becoming really good friends, this became one of the three or four things we bonded over. Really? Yeah was fucking Greece. That's weird. I fucking love Greece. Um it's it's unapologetically. I think it's the worst movie on the list. That being said, um it's 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 got like an undeniable like like infectious quality to it. I it's not a movie I should enjoy as much as I do. Mm-hmm. Spoiler, I like this movie. Okay. Cool. Um because I mean, a lot of it sort of goes against like a lot of my sensibilities, which are, uh, I mean, falling I in love with Australian women. I don't think it's totally honest. <laughs> Just like you want a movie that's not honest at all. <laughs> I mean, I get it. It's it's an it's a heightened musical. Stocker Channing considers an abortion in this movie. Yeah, it doesn't. I this it, movie's wild, dude. This it, movie, some shit happens in this. And movie. that's kind of the problem. It's like it's it's overstated and very pronounced and out there. And it's like that's like like. 
calm the brakes a little bit. Uh-huh. And it's cheesy as hell, and I don't buy into most of the performances here. Um, I, I just love this setting, and I love this music, and regardless of my, like, some, some inherent... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> some inherent flaws. Uh, yeah, like, it, it's... I, I usually watch the whole thing as soon as I start. It's entertaining as hell, too. I wrote down... Just sort of refreshing my memory because to be honest with you, like the plot has never mattered to me in any way. I've never given the plot of Greece that much thought just because I love these songs so much. Yeah, me too. I mean, there are five or six fucking iconic songs on here. Mm-hmm. Summer Nights, incredible. Grease, incredible. Hopelessly Devoted, incredible. You're the one that I want, incredible. Beauty School Dropout might be my favorite song. That's your favorite song? I like the song. It's not my favorite, though. Look at me. I'm Sandra D. Great song. Mm. Grease Lightning, great song. Oh, it's the best. So I think a lot of the time it's like I'm watching this and this is like a visual album, essentially. Yeah, like yeah. I'm watching it as a music video. Mm-hmm. But I wrote down just on uh, on my notes here from Wikipedia, just some of like the plot synopsis. And I'm like, wow, this movie's fucking weird. Yeah. Like Frenchie is visited by a guardian angel who advises her to return to school after a mishap in beauty class leaves her with candy pink hair. Why is there a guardian angel in this movie? That's kind of what I'm talking. Like the movie, the movie is like really stupid. Like for like even Frankie Avalon is a guardian angel. Even for musicals, like this, th- like that's what I'm saying. Like it's wild. Like not in like like the sense of like reality. Just like literally, what is happening is just nutty as hell. And again, like I'm not sure if it's all wholly appropriate, but in a way, it, it starts to sink itself in by the end of it. They fly off in a car at the end, don't yes, they? Yes, they do. Yeah, yeah, okay. So Definitely happens. Uh, there's a whole scene where just uh, the, this guy is showing off his used car, Grease Lightning. There's so much about this car for no fucking reason. Uh, there's a school dance here at the end. It's like prom. I don't even... It's prom or school dance or something. The thing is broadcast on national television. <laughs> Who's covering a high school dance on television hosted by DJ Vince Fontaine? (laughs) This movie is so fucking silly, dude. (laughs) There's the whole scene where Rizzo thinks she's pregnant because the condom broke. Yep. I mean, that's pretty intense for a PG movie. Sure. Uh, There's a race going on at the end of this movie. The guy gets a concussion. Kaneki gets a concussion. So Danny takes his place behind the wheel. (laughs) Just incredible stuff. The the pregnancy thing is so like it it feels very out of out of place with the rest of the movie tonally though yes and that's again kind of makes the, it's like a messy piece this yeah. entire film it's hard to really pin down like like one tone half the time well it's just it's it's grace right it's it's man it's its own thing yeah it's sour and sweet very sweet it's candy yes. Definitely. Yeah, I I don't have that much to say about it because again, I can sort of take or leave even the characters. I don't much like like a lot of these people. Um, I love me some Rizzo, man. Yeah, I love Rizzo. Eh, no. My type of chick. No, not mine. <laughs> yeah, no, I can take or leave most of these people. I don't like uh, Sandy's arc either. I guess that's another big issue. I don't I don't like what she feels like she has to do in order to appease uh, John Travolta's character. It's a little, I don't know. Yeah, the sort of that whole romance is kind of underbaked, I would say. Yeah, I agree. I, I think the, the the core thematic elements and a lot of like the heart of the movie are just misguided a lot of the time. And I just think it, in that sense, it doesn't really work as a story. It's just, 
it's it is a kind of a movie where it's like I should fucking hate this movie, but yes. Damn, that music is so good. It's just so good. <laughs> that's yeah. so good. Travolta's so good, too. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Travolta's just awesome in this movie. Oh, come on, Sandy. Nobody's watching. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He's a fucking icon in this movie. Yeah, he's yeah. a sex symbol. Yeah. Like, he, you know, he's kind of copying Elvis, but he sort of invented his own stereotype in many ways. Sure. Danny Zuko. He's, he's, he's delivered on that stereotype uh, time and time again. Playing great characters like Moose. <laughs> Moose is in the house. Here's Moosey. <laughs> My introduction to Greece was back in. Oh man, I should really look this up right now. Back when I was, you know, obsessed with reality shows and I watched nothing but reality shows. Uh, there was a uh, there was a reality show called "You're the One That I Want." Hmm the search for the next like Greece superstars. And they had like a, it was a competition show. Here it is. 2006 bunch of dudes, young, like aspiring actors, dudes and chicks. They got together and they competed to see who would play Sandy and who would play Danny in the next Broadway production of Greece. Okay. And like Billy Bush hosted it. I remember like watching the show and like at the time, like it's the only musical where you can really do this the audience inherently understands who a Sandy is and who a Danny is. Sure. And you can't really say that about a lot of other Broadway shows. And I think it's because of this movie. I think that's what Olivia Newton-John and, and John Travolta both accomplished here. Yeah. You know, their performances almost became bigger than the characters. I think so too. You know, you wouldn't necessarily say, Oh yeah, he's a real death of a salesman type, <laughs> you know? <laughs> sure. Yeah. But he almost kind of got stuck here in a way. It took a long time to break out of this. And I guess he doesn't really do it until Pulp Fiction. Yeah. You know, I mean, I might argue blowout, but you know, that's maybe not quite accessible enough. Not as seen as something like Pulp Fiction. Yeah. That's sort of like a cult classic. Yeah. Blowout. Yeah. Yeah, but also both of those movies are not star vehicles, really. No. You know, no. they're directorial sure. vehicles. Uh, love the fact that they just wrote Sandy as an Australian. For no reason. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, for I mean, the, I know. the reason that Olivia Newton-John is I, Australian. I get it, but like, is it just because she couldn't do the accent? Yes, I wish people did that more. Okay. That's I wish they did that with Tim Roth and Reservoir Dogs. Sure, me too. I wish they're like, this dude is just British. Why yeah. can't he be an undercover cop and British? What just happened recently where I was like, why not just make them British? It, we, I think we talked about it on why is this a thing? I couldn't remember what it was. Yeah, I feel like that happens a lot. Where it's like, why is this person doing this accent? Oh, what was it? I don't remember. But this is the rare movie that's like we cast an Australian chick and the play didn't call for an Australian chick as the lead. But we're just going to write around the actor. It's like, whatever. It works. I wish they did that more. Sure. Sure. Because it would save you from some horrible <laughs> accents. What's your favorite song? Uh, summer nights yeah. oh, because I sing it all the time with Abby. Yeah. What do you want from me? No, I don't want anything from you. I'm not a huge crease fan. I, I like it enough. That's the best I can say about it. <laughs> yeah. Also, my mom was obsessed with this movie. Yeah. She adored this movie and played it for me all the time. And come on, man. Is this the best music in any musical ever? I think it might be. I can't think of one. I like the music here better than West Side Story. They're very different, but that's fair. This is a little more earworm. Once you're a jet, you're a jet all the way. No, this is better than that. <laughs> Can make the argument too. It's the most iconic movie on this list. No, you think so? No. Okay. I wish Zach was here right now. Yeah. Can I trade you in for Zach? I'm not sure he would agree with you. I think he'd go for Halloween. 
Zach adores Greece. I know, but I still think he's smart <laughs> enough to go Halloween. I need to call Zach and talk to him about Greece. I haven't done that in a while. Greece! I might even argue the music's more iconic in Halloween. Oh, <laughs> Ooh, what a take. Eh. What a take. It's pretty close. You might not be wrong. Yeah. All right. Moving on, then. Is that all you have to say about Greece? Yeah. Okay. Are you upset? Yeah, I kind of wanted to sort of girl out with you right now, but I it's guess not, not. It's not that good. It's good. It's not that good. I kind of wanted to have a pillow fight with you, but I gladly have a pillow fight with you. <laughs> that's, but okay. that's not this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Midnight Express. Ooh, it's a movie I watched for the first time this week. Me too. It's directed by Alan Parker, written by a young Oliver Stone. I had no idea about this. Uh, starring Brad Davis, Randy Quaid, John Hurt, and others. Winner of Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Original Score at the Oscars was also nominated for Picture, Supporting Actor, Director, and Film Editing. Billy Hayes, an American college student, is caught smuggling drugs out of Turkey and thrown into prison. Yep. It's a movie I've been hearing about for years. Me too. Just this, you know, one of the great prison movies of all time is what I've heard. And I got to say, I think it lived up to the hype. I think it. I think so, too. I love this movie. I loved it as well. I really liked it a lot. Yeah, me too. I will say, if we're talking about the Oliver Stone of it all. Um, oh, it's pretty obvious. You know, for a while there, it's like, oh, this is like a cool prison movie. And then, like, Billy goes to the the court hearing and he starts lecturing to the judge about how he hates all the Turks and how, like, you know, justice is supposed to be blind and it's supposed to be fair. There should be mercy in any society. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, Ollie. I mean, I don't know, man. It's pretty obvious to me from the get go. Which parts? The Oliver, St- the whole premise is is an Oliver Stone premise through and through. Yes. I mean, it's all about like, like, like <laughs> government taking drugs too ser- seriously. Uh-huh. That's and, true. And the fact that he's put into prison for basically nothing. Right. You see, he, he tries to bring some drugs with him to America and he's thrown in prison and treated like an animal, you know. Are you aware that Oliver Stone was arrested for trying to struggle, struggle, smuggle drugs into the United States? Did you know that? No, I did not. That is a true story. Cool. Back when he was in the military, I think he did a couple years in the military. Mm-hmm. He's this rich, privileged kid. I just learned this because Oliver Stone put out a memoir. Um, but I think he was trying to smuggle him from Mexico. Oh. Uh, yeah, he was smuggling cocaine. Nineteen sixty-eight. Uh, he was, uh, put in jail. Um, and, uh, the only reason he got out is because his father pulled some strings and he admits to this day, like money can buy you out of any situation. Like I should probably be in jail for the rest of my life and like not have the opportunities that I have, but my father's fucking loaded. And so he pulled a couple strings and I spent like a week there and I went home and nothing happened to me. Then I went to NYU film school. <laughs> he is a strange character. Again, the Oliver Stone story, I think, is uh, it's a, it's one that I would love to see made into a movie. Yes. Not, one where he is not the director. Oh, for oh, sure. Oh, my God. Definitely. Um, however, Midnight Express is based on a true story. It is based on a, uh, um, a nonfiction book, 1977. It was a memoir. I think Billy, Zane, uh, Billy Hayes wrote it himself, yes. Billy Zane. Billy Hayes wrote it Billy himself. Zane wrote it. Yeah. Okay. And they took some liberties, I'm sure. But uh, I, I think this story spoke to Oliver Stone. It's like, s- this is the guy that went through what I was supposed to go through. <laughs> you know, I don't know what that says about Oliver Stone. If he has some uh, strange fantasies about it, and maybe he would have appreciated this side of the story more in a way. Oliver know. Stone admits in his memoir that he had sexual feelings for his mother. 
Okay. He says that in the memoir. Man, these fucking filmmakers. Crazy cat. They're weird. <laughs> then the guy goes to NYU film school and his professor is fucking Martin Scorsese. Yep. And Scorsese's like, that kid, that's a filmmaker. Yep. As he's snorting coke on the... <laughs> yeah, that was around the time. Right? Off the notebook. Yeah. <laughs> this is a young Scorsese, too. That's the thing. Yeah, sure. So, Dude, you could never get away with this anymore. No. You could never get away with this. No, you couldn't. It's, a, it's an interesting piece in that way. Just like it, it, the, the behind-the-scenes nature of it all is very interesting to me. Yeah. And not to say that I didn't find what was in the movie interesting, but it's the, the, the behind-the-scenes might be even more interesting in a yeah. lot of ways, like the inception of this idea. Yeah. So what do you think of the movie? I loved it, man. Yeah. Yeah, this is an excellent, excellent, excellent movie. I actually thought it was pretty fantastic. Yeah, I did too. Um, you know, it's it's got some of that Oliver Stone stuff I could do without some of like the political lectures, but that's the case with every single Oliver Stone movie. They're they're honestly, I mean, there's not as much of them, uh, when they're used, they're used quite effectively. And I actually thought they're this going to, it's going to sound crazy because of how impassioned that second speech is, but it's far more understated, I think, than the other ones, especially like in, in Oliver Stone's other movies. Right. I feel like, when the movie starts to get like, like, like when it's commenting on the system, a lot of what it hangs on is just the incompetence of that lawyer. Right. It doesn't go too deep past that. It's un- not Kevin Costner and JFK. No, yeah. no, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's, it, it, it takes it back just a, just enough, in my opinion, to the point where it wasn't distracting or obnoxious. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty gritty story. It's a pretty like rough, violent, gross oh, prison movie. It is disgusting. Yeah, I, I, I was having like like OCD panic attacks just watching these people clear everything off the shelves. I'm like, oh my god, they're making such a mess. Mm-hmm. They're making such a mess. I would lose my shit in there. Yeah, I'd be like that cat. <laughs> oh god. god. Are you implying that the cat hung himself? Is that what you're implying? Suicidal cat? <laughs> yes, Nico. Okay. Yes, Just check him. <laughs> the cat hung himself. That's, that's a super duper smart cat. Yeah, man, the couldn't, ca- couldn't take it in this prison. Existential cat. In this prison, even the cats are hanging themselves. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I fucking hate Mondays. <laughs> no more lasagna. <laughs> We are the worst nerds I've ever, uh, ever known. Uh, um, so, here's the thing. I thought it was a great combination of both like that gritty, tense atmosphere and some genuine comedy. Like the movie's pretty fucking funny. Oh too. yeah, it can be funny. You know that beginning scene where he's first arrested by like the customs agents, and mm-hmm. he's like taking pictures for the newspaper, and he's smiling with all the cops, yeah. and he like dumps the 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 uh, what is it heroin he's transporting or coke hash? What is hash? It's like like concentrated weed that's it yeah oh okay so he he wow smuggling weed that's what he was doing huh yeah so it, when he dumps like the thing out of his boot and it's like i found that shit pretty funny yeah it's like oh wait right in my boots and then the guy's like slapping him why didn't you check his boots why didn't you check his boots <laughs> i love the scene where he's they're they're kind of tricking rafiki into uh saying the line that i am big shit yeah it's like Yes, you are. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Moments like that. Randy Quaid getting stabbed in the ass is kind of funny. Yes, good stuff. But, yeah. Randy Quaid's really good in this, too. He's really good in this. Really, really John good. Hurt's awesome, but of course John Hurt's awesome. Always awesome. It's a year before Alien, too. Oh, it, wow. It's weird, because I... I, I har- two years before Elephant Man. I hardly ever think of John Hurt before Alien. That's yeah. the thing. 
it was kind of cool seeing him here. What an incredible run. No, that guy is a phenomenal actor. He went Midnight Express to Alien to Elephant Man. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever seen him in a movie that I where I didn't dislike the movie or him. Yeah, he just made good choices. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure he made some like stuffy costume dramas here and there, but yeah. No, I'd love me some John Hurt. Yeah. He's excellent. Uh, yeah, I mean, just the idea of a Turkish prison movie is just, mm. right, you got me. Right yeah. there, you got me. I know. You know, you got to make a movie about that. Yeah, it's just one of those premises that you just, you can't lose. Can't yeah. miss on that. It's either that or a gulag. Like, if I hear a movie, I want to see a movie what it's like to be in a gulag, which is a Russian prison. Right, right. Yeah, so, well, either one, they sound equally as shitty, so. Yes. You can but, have the you can have the Turkish prison. I'll have the gulag. I will say, though, <laughs> I feel like I've seen American prisons in these movies that are worse than the midnight express prison i'm not sure about that like here i don't know like they can fucking walk around nobody rapes anybody it depends though i mean the, you can't the, get killed you can only get stabbed in the ass there's no well you can though i mean who's to say <laughs> well they say that it's like off limits i guess it's a fucking they're prison. walking around the backyard they all like you know they're guard they're pretty cool with their guard in general it's it, it's not like get the gringo where it's just like why would you leave this place it's perfectly fine you right know? which is a good movie but uh yeah. Yeah, that's that's an example of one where it's like, oh, if I went to prison here, I'd be like cool with it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's not as bad as I thought it would be. Sure, I, I mean the the mental institution he's put it at the end is as bad as it's I would shitty think. because of the authority, though. It's, right. I mean, it sucks to be locked up anywhere to let alone people who are just idiotic with how they 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 use their judicial system, if you even want to call it that. And they're just like, you know what? We want to set a, an example for all foreigners. You're going to jail for your entire life or something that's that nobody cares about yeah like that's awful right yeah and it's just the most foul disgusting place you've ever seen next to the prison in shame right well that is the most foul disgusting thing i've ever seen the thing is that it's it's only foul because of the 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 prisoners with their um eating habits we'll say the prison is perfectly like structured you know Oh, you mean the the architecture? Yeah, it's perfectly fine. There's like padded floors. It's okay. Padded you, walls. Too. There's 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 even there are books and there is electricity. Mm. I can't really say that about um, the Turkish prison, but that's true. I don't know. Tomato, tomato. <laughs> I guess. Uh, yeah, I think just in general the walls. I think <laughs> just the decor what? in the shame prison. In the shame prison. Rank rank your top ten prisons. Or hunger, not shame. Hunger. Well, hunger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hunger. hunger. Did we call it shame the entire time? I think we did. Yeah, yeah hunger. Whatever. Yeah, hunger. Whatever. Yeah. Um, what's your worst prison? Is it hunger? Worst movie prison. That's a good question. Yeah, but again, you're right though. Like the hunger prison is it's self imposed. Yeah. A lot of that is self imposed. I th- I think it, assuming I'm not there with the IRA on a hunger strike, I might enjoy it. It would stink though. Yeah, it's definitely really bad stinking. I don't know. I mean, really, it's all about the rape, right? It's all about the butt rape. Hmm. As long as I'm not raped, I'm cool. I can deal. I think the worst prison I've seen in a movie where it's like everyone will kill themselves is like the prison in like the Raid 2. Uh-huh. It's about as shitty as the prison here. Oh, interesting. Except they'll kill each other. Got it. So there, there is that. The raid would suck. Midnight Express, man. That opening is so good. Yeah, it's tense as fuck with the heartbeat. Uh, oh, when he's in the airport and he's sweating and he's like, he's dry heaving in the bathroom. And it just doesn't stop. It keeps going and oh, going. Yeah. And this going. movie just goes for it, man. Man, it is taut. Yes. It's, enti- it's, it's one of those movies I started and I just couldn't stop. I needed to just, I was just locked in. I love movies like that. Yeah. This is, and- how did you feel about the lead performance? What's his name? 
Uh, Billy Hayes. Billy Hayes. Uh, no, that's the name of the character, yeah. and the name of the actor is Brad Davis. Brad Davis. Okay. Um, I did have the thought, like, man, if De Niro was in this movie, it would be an all timer. Maybe. Maybe. You know? I Younger. thought he was fine enough. Yeah, me too. Me too. I love his speech when he's calling them pigs. Yeah, you know that's good. He maybe goes a little over the top, but for the most part, I think it's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, he's a pretty boy, right? Uh, he's just like a classic Hollywood pretty boy that never really did anything. And I, I did have that thought, like, great direction, great script, right place, right time movie. It's in that 70s golden age. But, like, had they just cast Pacino? You know what I mean? <laughs> sure. Like, if they just got, like, the star in this movie, we're talking about it in the same category as we are the deer hunter. I know, I know. And it's just, like, sometimes, it's funny, it, occasionally like you can tell the difference between a good actor and a great actor. This is one of those instances where it's like, man, if only there was a great actor here, cause it's really a meaty part. Sure. You know, sure. Sure. It's a meaty, meaty part. It asks a lot for him and it's very physically demanding. Surprisingly, he has to, he has to do quite a lot in this movie. He has to bite off a dude's face tongue. Oh, is that what he bit? Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. This movie's gross, man. It is gross. Although fuck that guy. Yeah. Oh, fuck that guy. <laughs> I was so happy when he did that. Oh, my God. And it does one of the great things that prison movies can do, and, and that is to give you a sense of how long the sentence is, mm-hmm. you know, and to make you, like, loathe the existence in the way that the character is. It's exhausting, too, this movie. Like, it, it, it's one of those things where it's like, I wasn't exactly sure when he was going to escape. Like, right when you think they're going to tunnel out of the wall, that's completely thwarted. And right when you think he can maybe... uh uh I don't know, make any leeway after the fact that because I think, OK, they're not going to go out of this tunnel. Maybe they'll find another tunnel. And that's not what happens at all. He gets sent to a, a sanatorium. Yes. It's like, oh, my God, what, how's, how's he going to do this? And I love his method of escape. Yeah. And just how quick and simple it, it ultimately is. Yeah. Just from right. Like just It's it's just luck. Right. At the end just of the put day. put a prison guard's outfit on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It. Literally. Just sneak out of there. Yeah. When he's in the sanatorium and they're like just walking around in a circle. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what that room was, but it's just like every prisoner is just pacing for no reason other than to pace that is a religious thing that they do oh is that what that is yeah from my understanding okay i forgot what exactly it is but but just like these zombies walking around down there it looked like they were like left in a pit Mm -hmm. just to rot away yeah yeah this movie's awesome man yeah I'm surprised it took me this long to watch it me too and it's right up my alley yeah oh god it's definitely right up your alley you're the bad machine you know how i know because because uh, I'm the factory who makes the bad machines. Ah, <laughs> oh, good stuff. Oliver Stone. Yeah, really good. Really, really good, good stuff, yeah. man. I wish Stone did that more. Yeah, I, he's again, he's so, Scarface, same thing. Yeah, wrote Scarface. He's preachy as fuck, though. He needs, yes, he needs to, and it is a, it is a problem. Yes, it's one of those instances where it's like I don't enjoy your preaching. Yes, I can hear him in my ear. Yes, stuff to me. Yes, exactly. Right. No, it's only on occasion because for the most part, I thought it was a pretty atmospheric thriller. Oh, it's incredibly atmospheric. I mean, again, that's why I, I think I wrote uh, I need a shower after this. Oh, you really need a shower after this one. Yeah, I need yeah. a couple showers, lifetime Ugh, showers for God. sure. Man, that scene where his girlfriend comes to see him after all this. Oh, uh, my God. It's one of the most foul things I've ever seen. in my Take life. off your top. Oh, I hated it. And they're like having sex with the glass, essentially. Oh, God, he's like jerking off. Like at the bottom of the frame. <sighs> stay off the weed, kids. Yeah, it's not worth it. Stay off the weed. It's and not stay it. the fuck out of Turkey. Yeah. It's one place you don't want to end up. It hasn't gotten any better. No. <laughs> All right. All right. The Deer Hunter. 
is next. Written and directed by Michael Cimino. Quick sidebar about Cimino. Okay. Dude makes Heaven's Gate, mm-hmm. which is, I checked this out as a matter of fact, five minutes shorter than The Deer Hunter. Deer Hunter's three hours, Heaven's Gate's two hours, 58 minutes. Is anyone surprised that this dude made Heaven's Gate? I haven't seen Heaven's Gate, in fairness. I don't know. Maybe Heaven's Gate is a mess. I'm Could pretty be. sure it is a mess. Could be. I'm, I don't know. I Dude, I can't comment on it until I've seen it. But. Here's my point. Is anyone surprised that after making a three-hour movie about dudes that play Russian roulette, is anyone surprised that this dude made an indulgent follow-up two years later? Maybe not. I'm just saying Hollywood should have known what they were getting. No, no. I don't necessarily know if that's true. I mean, again, it's, I, I don't know. How, how do you explain The Godfather? It's a similar situation, I would say. I mean, eventually Coppola ends up doing fucking Apocalypse Now. It's an incredible movie, but if you're going to say that's not indulgent. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. <laughs> I think it's the era. They just trusted filmmakers like this maybe a little too much. They didn't understand what could go wrong. I feel like some of the seams were there, though. Maybe. With, yes. with Deer Hunter. I feel like it's a it's an excellent movie. I like this yeah. movie quite a bit. I did. There's some signs in there, though, that this guy... Dude spent an hour and 15 minutes before they even get to Vietnam, it feels like. I think it's a full hour into the movie. They actually arrive at Vietnam. It's one of the more interesting war movies I've ever seen and how it breaks apart just like the process of not only building up to the war, but also living after it. It's so concerned with the life of these people that like the war is almost an afterthought it in, is. A, in a way. It is definitely. And it's, it's a war movie in, in a sense, but it's – yeah, like if you, if you go into this movie expecting a Vietnam movie, that's not really what – you it is at all yeah it's it's man dude though hang on starring robert de niro christopher walken john cazale and meryl streep ever heard of any of those people not a one okay winner of best picture supporting actor director sound and film editing at the oscars was also nominated for lead actor supporting actress original screenplay and cinematography afi says it's the 30 best thriller of all time and the number 53 movie of all time full stop okay uh, and it's, again, an in-depth examination of the ways in which the U.S.-Vietnam War impacts and disrupts the lives of people in a small industrial town in Pennsylvania. So, anyway, continue. Yeah. Um, I, I, I guess this is the the movie that, like, like, broke it for me that I love movies that make you feel like shit. Oh, okay. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, because... And we like this. We talk about this a lot. This is a tough hang in the purest sense. Oh, yeah. This is not enjoyable whatsoever. No. In fact, this movie is quite miserable. It is quite miserable in almost every way. Not just with what is literally happening to these people some of the time, but just the sense of depression and lonely loneliness and helplessness half the time. Just like the like just sad existences <laughs> that come out of these people. Seeing where they are at the beginning of the movie and the incredible level of hope and aspiration they have towards what they are by the end of it and just how pathetic and wasted everybody is singing god bless america oh my god in an empty bar yeah my dad talks about this film a lot he likes it quite a bit but he's like adam i saw this in theater in the theaters and i don't think i slept for a week just thinking about how just painful this was to watch yeah and i agree yeah, this movie destroyed me. Mm. It ruined my life. <laughs> but it is a remarkable piece of cinema. Yeah, it 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 uh, 
It definitely did that for me as well. I, I don't <laughs> think I ever glommed onto it the way that you did or that a lot of other film fans did. I, I always appreciated it as like an excellent work of cinema, but as something I I can't rewatch. No. I mean, that's part of the problem. It just doesn't have any rewatch value. Not that's not, 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 not necessarily a bad thing. Sure. There are plenty of movies that I really like that I never want to watch again. Yeah, this certainly. And this is oddly iconic, this movie. In definitely a lot of iconic. Yeah. Definitely iconic. Um, and really just on every level, incredibly acted. I mean, it has three of the greats ever just doing their thing here. Like Meryl Streep is amazing in this. movie. Yes. I actually like her a lot. John Cazale is great in this movie. I think John Cazale is the, the unsung hero here though. As he always is. Yeah. Christopher Walken, his best performance ever in this movie. Probably. Yeah. And De Niro gets overlooked a lot. I, I, well, I kind of understand that. I like him a lot in this movie, but it's not one of his stronger performances necessarily. He's much better at the first half of the film than the second half when he's sure. really going all in and like growling like a, like a dog. And he's trying to, you know, almost about it to shoot himself in the head like, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, it's okay. Yeah. Um, he gets a, yeah, he's, I think he's actually better, better used when he's uh, sort of that broken war hero by the end and, and at the beginning. Well, not, uh-huh. a, not a broken war hero at the beginning, just that somewhat mysterious human being that we don't, we don't really know where he's going to go emotionally. No, he's, he's best in silence. That's always been De Niro's strength is he, what he can convey just doing nothing and the way he can convey emptiness. He can do it like no actor has ever done it before. He's so good. Man, he is he is really good in the movie. I don't want to sell him short, but yeah. I understand if people aren't like cl- like clinging onto this. As well, like Walken, I understand movie. this is Walken's movie in many ways. Yeah, yeah, you know, I agree. Um, so, question for you. Um, first of all, how profitable do you think like professional Russian roulette playing is? What Dude, I, what kind I, of money's in that? I don't know. Is it enough for you to uh, consider it, Nico? How long would my career have to be? <laughs> what am I signing up for? How many matches? Uh, I don't know, th- th- five. Five matches. I don't know. I I couldn't even. I mean, tell what you. kind of job is that? What do you, are, are you? Do you have an answer for me? You're just asking a question. No, how much money? I, I'm asking you. How much money can you make doing that? Uh, I don't know. Uh, on a weekly basis, assuming yeah. you survive. What do you think that pays? Uh, I don't know. A thousand bucks a week. Yeah, probably right. Yeah, nothing more than that. Why would you do this? Because they've lost their minds because they like the idea of potentially dying. Okay, so here's what happened, right? Film is based in part on an unproduced screenplay called The Man Who Came to Play. This was by Louis uh, Garfinkel and Quinn Rudiker. Garfinkel? Yes. This was a fictional story about uh, Russian roulette playing in Las Vegas. This had nothing to do with the Vietnam War. It had nothing to do with Vietnam veterans. It wasn't even set in Pittsburgh. Russian roulette with guns? Yes. Yes. This is about Russian roulette playing in Vegas and sort of like this underground CD thing, like an 8 millimeter style. I see. Underground CD Russian roulette ring. And none of this stuff ever happened. This is a totally fabricated story. Okay. There is not even any evidence that Russian roulette happened during the Vietnam War. There's no evidence of this whatsoever. There was a writer for uh, the Associated Press. He, his name is Peter Arndt, who won a Pulitzer Prize for his coverage of the war. He wrote this in the Los Angeles Times back when this movie came out. In its 20 years of war, there was not a single recorded case of Russian roulette. The central metaphor of the movie is simply a bloody lie. Uh-huh. None of this ever happened in Vietnam. Uh-huh. This was in a Hollywood uh, script that was run through the filter at Vietnam. 
Does that for you in any way diminish the impact of the movie? Uh, I mean, no, I don't think so. Okay. I mean, in a lot of ways, isn't that like, is that what they're getting at? Like that's what Vietnam was. (sighs) Does it diminish its impact for you? I don't know. When I read that, it did. Okay. Yeah. When I read that, it did. Does it feel a little disingenuous to you? Well, it feels like the movie's no longer about Vietnam. I think that's the problem, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and this is something that Chimino said himself, actually, uh, when asked him about the accuracy of the movie. Um, he, Chimino said that the film was not political, um, literally, literally accurate, or posturing for any particular point of view. Like, that just rings hollow to me. Mm-hmm. Like the movie is posturing for a point of view. Like this is an anti-war movie. Wouldn't sure. you say so? I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, though. Is it? A, is it a bad thing for, to to make something like this up? Yes, I think so. Why? Because now you're not commenting on the war anymore. You're commenting on an imagined game that part- that happened during the war. I uh, now the, I, I guess the counter argument is it's a metaphor. Yeah, roulette is Russian roulette is supposed to be like a metaphor for the pointlessness, the arbitrary nature of the Vietnam conflict. Mm-hmm. Like it, it does not have a code. It does not have morality. It's random. It's unforgiving. And it's like sending your sons to Vietnam to go fight the Viet Cong. You might as well just be playing Russian roulette in your living room. Yeah. That's the metaphor. I get it. What's but, wrong with that? Because again, you're not really commenting on the Vietnam war. Well, I think you're, you, what, what do you mean? You're not, I think you are deliberately. It's you're not using uh, 100% historical accuracy entirely. I don't think that's in, always wrong. I mean, there's not a single movie that portrays the war 100% accurate. Yeah, but this feels like a big stretch. No, I don't know. It's not hard to believe that this could have happened. This, here's here's what I'll, I will say. Go ahead. It's, it's in the realm of war. This isn't even remotely close to the worst thing I've heard of. Uh-huh. Not even not even close. Especially not in Vietnam, and certainly not in World War II. <laughs> Okay. I mean, there are horror stories that you can't even imagine that came out of like World War II. If you if you, if you want to literally not sleep for for weeks, just look up Unit Seven Thirty One. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's it's worse than this in every conceivable way. I mean, Sophie's Choice was a thing too, man. I mean, like, but that's an actual thing that happened. Yeah. That was not a Hollywood construction. Sure. Although it could have been dreamt up in a lab, like it wasn't. That was an actual thing that happened. Does it make it? I'm not sure if it makes that much of a difference. Maybe not. Maybe yeah. not. I, I just thought that if if I do think like war movies have a responsibility to be somewhat accurate. I mean, Dunkirk's not accurate. No, I guess not. Yeah, I suppose not. I mean, it was an event that actually happened, though. Right. Event, it's based event, on true events. Yeah, the event happened, but the entire movie is is sort of built around what Christopher Nolan wants to do as a spectacle piece more so than just portraying the war accurately. Honestly, the Dunkirk scene and atonement is much more accurate. Uh-huh. So there's that. Um, and I mean, I, I guess if you really want to go there, <laughs> you could make the argument that like, uh, uh, the, the good chunk of saving private Ryan is not literally accurate, but we all know that the spirit of that movie exact, but it's not a major leap though. That's what I'm I saying. Mean, no, but to make, I'm, I'm not to sure make this is a major leap either, though. Playing That's, Russian roulette? No. With with prisoners? No. I mean, that re- this movie is about Russian roulette. Like, there are multiple Russian roulette scenes in this movie. 
It's not about combat at all. No. It's no. not about combat. But again, the Russian roulette is, again, going back to like that cop-out excuse, is it's the metaphor that follows you after the, you've left the war. You know? Yeah. It, it haunts you to this day. It's like, again, the Russian roulette is a metaphor for the Vietnam War for these guys even afterwards. That's why they continue to struggle with it after they've long left the, the conflict. Yeah, but it's also a Hollywood contrivance, though. I and it doesn't feel like it's within the realm of possibility. I don't... I, what do you mean? I see. I just, well, it just, wasn't, though. I don't think it's hard to believe, though. All right, let me give you an example, right? Like, Apocalypse Now. Yeah. The end of Apocalypse... There was never a guy named Colonel Kurtz no. or whatever that, like, like engaged in cannibalism and took over a village of the Vietnamese during the Vietnam conflict. Like, that never happened. No. But that, to me, feels like a very obvious metaphor. Like, Coppola yeah. is... This is an artistic statement. This isn't, like, literally reporting on the facts of the war. This, to me, it's like an artistic statement disguised as a literal reporting of the facts of the war. Do you know what I mean? That's a little confusing, don't you think? It's a little contrived. I, I, just, I, don't, think it's, it's, I don't think it's that complicated. I just think it's like we need, we need an idea that will follow these guys after the war is over, more so than just PTSD for the audience, you know? And it will kind of be their downfall. Okay, so you think that they needed like a literal metaphor, yeah, in pl- to show this is what's happening to these people. I mean, I think it works. Is the thing? I, don't I mean, know. it definitely works. That Russian roulette scene is terrifying. Yeah, exactly. It's horrifying. Yeah. Shit. I mean, like I said, though, even like some of the stuff like the Viet Cong would do to soldiers in the Vietnam War, like like stringing them up to to trees and d- dumping gasoline down their throats and then throwing a match net, like that's something that would happen to soldiers like prisoners of war. That's terrible. I'm just sort of partial <laughs> to the platoon model, I guess to just like say it like it was as if you were there. I get, this might be a better movie than platoon though. You think? Yeah, I think it is. I think I put platoon slightly above it. Mm, I don't know. I don't know, man. It's close. I uh, best Vietnam movie. I mean this, I think that apocalypse pro- now is the best Vietnam movie. no, Come on. No. What are we talking about? Apocalypse here? Now is just a great movie in and of itself. It's I, I hardly even consider it a war movie. Uh then you can't call this one a war movie. It's closer to a war movie in Why? Essence, though. They spend less time in war. But that's the thing. Well, th- there's like, less conflict. That's why in this I consider movie. it like one of the more interesting ones, because a lot of like what defines these characters or what what incites a lot of the conflict in their minds is the war specifically. Whereas like Heart of Darkness is just about like the heart of darkness. There you go. Uh, it's about the heart of darkness. Yes. <laughs> Apocalypse now is more just about the world at large, more so than just Vietnam and mankind specifically. This, you know, this, this is predicated pretty strongly on what happens to these characters in Vietnam. Mm. You know, it's not as like deeply a war film, I would say as platoon as well, but, uh, I, 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 I don't know. Something about it feel- did bother me though. When I heard that this was a Hollywood idea yeah that was sort of retrofitted into a vietnam movie something about that just bothers me that's I don't fair know. It's, it's still pretty incredible though it has the that's what i guess what i'm getting at it has maybe the more most pathos of any war movie i've seen yeah i it, mean it's a it's still an incredible movie no question about it um so uh, i have some fun facts sure from the from the set so uh, De Niro requested a live cartridge be used in the revolver for the scene <laughs> in which Michael subjects Stanley. That's uh, uh, that's John Cazale uh, to an impromptu game of Russian roulette when they're camping or whatever uh, to heighten the intensity of the scene. John Cazale agreed without protest, but obsessively rechecked the gun before each take to make sure that the live round wasn't next in the chamber. So we wanted just the possibility that 
I may mistakenly shoot you. De Niro, 1978. <laughs> That's why I hate actors. <laughs> and y'all are complaining about Ellen's behavior on the set of the Ellen yeah, show. That's fair. I know. Fucking De Niro <laughs> almost killed John Cazale. Um, yeah, you could never do that today. No! <laughs> It'd be literally impossible. That's the 70s, man. It was just out of control. Yeah. Uh, this was also John Cazale's final movie. We all know this. Yes. Guy made five movies. Yet I feel like I know him so much better than that. He only made five. All five nominated for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Godfather, Godfather 2, The Conversation, Deer Hunter, Dog Day Afternoon. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Yeah. Um, this was his last one, though. He was dating Meryl Streep at the time. The studio said that Cazale was uninsurable because he was dying of cancer. Uh, Meryl threatened to quit because they were going to fire him. De Niro ends up putting the money up for the insurance policy. Wow. And they allow Cazale uh, to be in this movie. And he died shortly after filming was completed. Never saw the completed film. Too bad. And sort of uh, also like deeply affected Meryl for the rest of her career. She mm. does Kramer versus Kramer a year after this. Mm. And they say one of the reasons why she was cast for that film is because of her experience here. They wanted someone that had gone through a lot shit in her romantic life and won her first Oscar. Didn't realize that. Yeah. Good for her. She's great in this movie though. It's also another one of those movies where it's like, wow, these guys made a movie together. Yeah. I De Niro know. and Merrill and Walken and it's a, it's a perfect storm in a lot of ways. Uh, I don't think it has the greatest legacy or impact because it gave us Michael Cipino. Yes, definitely. That's a problem. <laughs> yeah. Technically. Yeah. So what do you want? It's a it great one off. Yes. In, most most in, impressive one off, I think, ever. One hit wonder. Yeah. Incredible one hit wonder. And wins best picture. Yeah. Something bothered me about that roulette thing. That's okay. Just something bothered me. Uh, okay. Cool. Halloween. Yes. Directed by John Carpenter. Mm-hmm. Starring Jamie Lee Curtis, Donald Pleasance, and Tony Moran. Nominated for zero Oscars. 15 years after murdering his sister on Halloween night, 1963, Michael Myers escapes from a mental hospital and returns to the small town of Haddonfield, Illinois, to kill again. You have the floor. Oh, man. Oh, man. Uh, Yeah. I mean, is it... Okay, well, I mean, I guess to start, it's like uh, either my second or third favorite John Carpenter movie. It's... uh, Behind what? Uh, it goes, the, the thing is number one outright and it's not close. Um, and then I kind of swapped this back and forth with escape from New York. Yeah. I don't even think it's in the same category. Really? Yeah. No, it's very close. You think? Yeah. I love escape from New York. Love it. Uh, no, it's pretty close. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I think generally my list goes, uh, the thing and then this and then escape from New York. Um, but yeah, this is, uh, I mean, one of my favorite movies of all time, of course. Of sure. course it is. Yeah. How could it not be? T- talk to me about the relevance of this movie, like culturally and filmically. Like what did this influence? I mean, this is a lot of people will, will claim that like the slasher craze started with psycho. I don't think that's true whatsoever. And I think a lot of people agree that this is kind of where it started. It set up a lot. Texas chainsaw, right? Yeah. Not as aware. I would say, you know, but a Texas chainsaw massacre is incredibly influential. Don't get me wrong. Uh, it's it, it it feels more like uh the 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 i don't know the wolfenstein t- and then this is the doom which makes no sense to you you make that metaphor quite a bit and but this, i still don't know what it means you, know, you should play more video games okay like like the prototype is texas chainsaw massacre and then where it really kicks off is halloween which popularizes all these ideas that we have come to know quite well it's 
it's a funny movie to talk about with how much of it is is dependent on those things that we would now consider cliches, but it started a lot of those cliches. Sure. And they became cliches for a reason because this movie does them better than I think maybe any other slasher movie. It could be the best slasher movie ever made. Yeah. Could be. Um, it's one of the scariest experiences I've ever had watching a movie when I first saw it. Me too. And to this day still freaks me the fuck out. Me too. Um, it's got one of the great movie villains mm-hmm. of all time. Um, it's got – man, dude. That score gets up there for me every so year. Good. It's it's an amazing, amazing soundtrack. <laughs> so good. Uh, it's so simple. Is the interesting thing about it is that it's actually really, really, really easy to play. Um, but man, is that shit effective and that kind of uh, – kind of sums Carpenter up uh, quite well, if you ask me. I, yeah, I think it, yeah, sure. I, I also want to say that um, uh, gave us Jamie Lee Curtis. How could you not love Jamie Lee Curtis? How she could is you not? so remarkable in this movie. Yeah. Um, and my God, this, the, the, <laughs> here we go again. Yeah, keep going. Um, John Carpenter's direction in this movie is like, flawless yeah (laughs) it's so airtight and so perfectly planned he knows exactly what he's doing and my like like every single piece to go into making that taut horror thriller experience like i can't imagine anything being done differently in three hundred thousand dollars it cost yep three hundred thousand dollars ended up grossing 47 million in 2008 that would have been uh 150 million i don't know why imdb put it that way um but yeah, it, that makes it one of the most successful independent films of all time. Yeah. And I don't think you can undersell how significant that is for the independent movement. Oh, yeah. You know, it really, I know the 90s and Tarantino and Rodriguez and Soderbergh, whatever, they sort of popularized the independent movement. And there was no independent cinema before Jim Jaramusch and all them. But Carpenter was really doing a lot of the heavy lifting with Halloween. And I don't think that entire generation of filmmaker is even possible. Oh my God. Not for Carpenter. Well, the, yeah, you can't undersell this movie in that influence, in that level of influence, just because it gave us Carpenter in a lot of ways. Yeah. Not to say that we didn't have him before, but he was most well known prior to this with assault on precinct 13. Yes. Which is really good, but it didn't have quite the, the level of impact that this one did. It's like, Oh my God, who's this kid? Yeah. But that notion of, Oh, who's this kid in the independent scene? Just like, it's it basically started everything that came afterwards. Yeah, is what you're saying. No, I I think he made it possible. I just think yeah, he, he exactly. proved that you know you can do this with three hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, I you know. can do this, but not just like like you can make like a like a decent enough movie. Like you can make like a really you can make an iconic, awesome, movie. iconic. Yeah, that just resonates for generations where they're still doing fucking sequels today. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes, and they won't stop. Yeah, they will not stop. They're gonna release one this year. I know. Yeah, yeah next year they'll do it. The the worst titled sequels I've ever heard. No. Oh god, life. they're pretty bad. They're pretty <laughs> fucking bad. Um, so look, that's a big part of it. I, I, I don't think I've ever seen a movie that gets more out of less than this. Oh my movie. god, it's it's this me. movie milks every second. It's like this and the vast of night. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's amazing yeah. to me. It's like if you just want a clinic and how to make an independent film, if you just. If you think that you can't do it, you can fucking do it. You yep. can do it. But you need to have the right ethic towards it. You need to be willing to, you know, like you you might do stuff that's tedious as fuck. Yeah. But commit to that and and have the patience and you can make something that's really groundbreaking. Right. You can just go to the fucking party store yeah. and get a fucking William Shatner mask and spray paint it white and that's your costume. That's yeah. it. Cost you nothing. I want to hear a crazy fact. Go ahead. When they filmed this, it was not fall, but obviously in Halloween, you need to have some leaves lying around. You have to have that color change. So they 
took leaves just randomly off the trees, painted them brown, wow. and just laid them out for every scene where a character needs to walk from this end of the frame to this right, end of the right, frame. Right, right, right. And then they collected all oh the leaves. Oh, my God! <laughs> and did it again. Wow! <laughs> for other locations. So every leaf you see in this movie is spray painted is spray painted (laughs) or painted over whatever but they're not really supposed to be there (laughs) incredible that is the level of ingenuity that's going on in this movie guys yeah crazy i'm just in awe of of this movie every time i watch it it really just it it blows me away i don't know if it's my favorite horror movie but it's definitely top two or three and i watch this a lot oh yeah a lot like i watch this like in between like times when i'm writing yeah it's a good movie to have on in the background for stuff like that yep um yes you said jamie lee curtis this is her sort of star making performance um and uh you know at the time carpenter said that he didn't consciously set out to depict virginity as like a noble thing or as a way of saving your lives um he thought that that was just sort of a necessity of the plot but that's another thing that he went on to influence in in the horror genre like virgins innocence the loss of innocence like sex these themes come up time and time again still to this day um they're starting to sort of be inverted a little bit like it follows i think was sort of like a response to halloween and other films of that nature but like this is a movie that every horror movie you see is referencing halloween in oh some God. way even if you don't know it oh it's not it's it's ridiculous how many movies reference it follows especially but but i mean this movie is single-handedly responsible for essentially friday the 13th yes you know and they are you know, different in quotes they're they're a little different yeah. they get much different as those movies go along but like in essence you don't have uh friday the 13th without this or even some some other rip-offs you don't have a lot of what makes uh, nightmare on elm street what it is uh, you don't have a lot of films that come out today. I mean, there there are elements like like it, uh, what was the most recent one I saw that reminded me so much of this? Oh my god! Uh, um, oh my god! What is it called? Uh, Hush in a lot of ways. Oh, you saw? I haven't seen it yet. Really good. Really, yeah, really good. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 different in that the 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 killer is a little more identifiable. Uh-huh. But again, follows and takes a lot of elements from that. Even like ghost stories, I see just like the the blocking of a scene with the the thing in the background that's mm-hmm. watching or coming towards you, and you don't necessarily realize it. Yeah, that whole like like unstoppable slow moving uh uh foe. I think the scariest yeah. part of this movie for me, the more times I watch it, is the beginning. Just because the randomness of like picking out Laurie and just how he follows her in broad daylight. Yeah. Broad daylight horror really scares me. Me too. There's something about it. Like we me were too. talking about Zodiac this weekend with Nick because Nick yeah. watched Zodiac for the first time. And I think he was a little confused as to why these these murder sequences were as lauded as they were. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, dude, the fact that the Zodiac killer can kill you in broad daylight. That's freaky. It's so much more terrifying. At least at night, I'm bracing myself, man. I'm checking behind doors. I'm turning on lights. Yeah. I'm ready with my baseball bat in any moment. Mm-hmm. When I'm walking home from school and some madman at the psych unit just started following me around, I have no control over that. Oh, it's catching you with your pants down. Yes. Like the, like the one shot where he's outside and she's looking at him from her classroom. Oh. She gets me every single time. Yes. But this movie does something, I just, I love it in horror movies, when they, and they don't do this enough, is that that it's a, like sort of a hereditary thing where there's something in the corner of the frame. It, it's not drawing attention to it, but it is there if you're right, looking. Right. There's a great shot where they uh, Dr. Loomis comes up to the convenience store that's been robbed, and he's talking with the officer. He's like, I got to talk to you about something. It's important. And he's like, okay, l- l- we'll save it for later. And in the background is the street and the main road. And 
you, you might not notice it, but Michael drives right by him. Oh, wow. Right by him. He stops like at a stop sign, like in the very corner of the frame. And you're like, is that the car that they were driving from uh, the, the, the sanatorium that he was being taken to? It looks like the same car. And then you can see him clear as day when he drives right by him. Oh, my God. They draw no attention I never noticed to it, that. But it's right there. Yeah. Oh, there's dude. A, there's a ton of that. And there's, there's another this movie. There's another great moment, too, when Lindsay's on the phone and she's in like a shirt. And uh, she turns around for a second and the camera pans over. And in the background is Michael standing in the window. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, that yeah, one's yeah, yeah. great. Yeah, that one's just amazing. The only indicator you get is that little sting of music. But yeah. it's just I, I never noticed it at first. Yeah, yeah I, I notice it now. But like I remember when I first saw it, I didn't get why there was a sting there. And then I'm like, oh, my God, there he is. Right. There is a ton of that in this movie. And it's something that honestly filmmakers don't do enough of. No, they don't. It's actually quite rare. And I love it. You, it's it's a rare ability. You know what it is? Actually, it's not even a rare ability. It's effort yeah. to fill the frame. Yes. It, so many directors, oh, okay. we talk about this all the time. It's like so many details are just left unattended to. Mm-hmm. It's like whether it's the set designer that's not paying attention to it, whether it's the director, like putting a fucking coffee mug in the background that says like world's greatest dad on it <laughs> might be enough you know what I mean? But there's always room to explore character, to explore plot, to explore ambiance that's never used. We were just talking about this, as a matter of fact, with the pawnbroker mm. uh, and how Lamette, all of his New York movies are so loud and all of his frames are so cluttered. And it's like, that's a dude that understands how to build ambiance. Oh, yeah. That's a dude that understands, like, there is more than just what this character is doing. The stuff behind him can tell you just as much about him as what you're seeing on his face. Mm-hmm. And that's something that Carpenter understands. Mm-hmm. All of his movies are so detailed. Although they're simple, all of his yeah. plots are incredibly simple. Um, they're easy to summarize in one sentence. There's so much directing going on. There's so much story going on. It's just pure craftsmanship. And that's part of the reason why Carpenter is so influential. Yes. Because he really is a filmmaker in the purest sense where every single detail of your movie is constructed and thought out and planned and just used for optimal effect. And it's like we can always be doing more. And like you said, I just think that he knows how to fill a frame. I mean, that's something that, that he's lauded for, for. He's been lauded for for age, ages and ages, mostly because he's been filming in Panavision his entire life. Yes. And he's just been obsessed with that. He's not someone who prefers close-ups. Yep. He likes to say, we'll keep it wide for the duration of this scene, and a lot of the story will be going on. But you know, if we're making a horror movie, you might have to look for it, and that's what makes it kind of weird and om- ominous half the time. Right. It works so well in this movie. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, yeah, if I'm talking about a director who knows how to use a frame, it's Carpenter. Yeah. It's effort, man. Yeah. It's just it's just effort. Just put in the effort. Yep. Um and you're going to see massive results. $300,000 is all this thing cost and it uh, changed movies. Yep. It's incredible. It's it's just a it's an incredible movie. And I honestly, this is what I was saying before. I don't think there's any contest. I think really? this should be put in. Okay. I do. And unless you have any debate. No, I was hoping you would say this. I wasn't sure if you were going to go this What what else am I going to say? No, I think it's got to be Halloween. Okay. I think it has to be, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, on our criteria, which I feel like we've been forgetting about these past couple of weeks. Yeah, we've sort of let it go. Which is okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I think if we go by our, our old cr- criteria, this checks all the boxes better than pretty much every other movie on the list. Dude, it might be the most iconic movie. It's also the best movie. Let's be fair. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's the best movie. Yeah, it is. Yeah. All right. So there we go. Halloween. Congratulations. Yes. And Carpenter, you're in. You're finally in. Really? It's his first one. That's his first one. A lot of Carpenter this week for, or this year for us. Yeah. It's been a very Carpenter heavy year. Because we have to reconcile with the fact that Carpenter's fucking awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Turns out movies are awesome. (laughs) 
Robert De Niro's awesome. John <laughs> yep. Carpenter is awesome. That's what we learned today. It's all awesome. Yeah, movies are awesome. Oh my god! I'm, I hope the AMC screens this. That'd be so cool. Oh, I want to go. Oh, that'd be so awesome. <laughs> so, uh, okay, I have to pee. But me too. Oh, okay. <laughs> you want to cross streams? Oh God! No, no, no! I'm no. just gonna fight you for the bathroom. Okay. <laughs> Um, so that's that. Next week, uh, Tenant, I guess, right? Are we going to seriously try Tenant? Let's do it. Uh, okay. Let's do it. We'll do it. Let's get Nick on. Let's do it. We'll do Tenant. Let's get it popping. We're going to get Nick on? Yeah. Let's do this. It's all been leading to this, buddy. We have to bring that guy on? Our, Absolutely. Our sacred pod? We got to do it. Yeah, that's okay. It's all been building to this moment when uh, we're all in awe of the mediocrity of Tenant. That's you what, don't know that. That's what this Stop year has been say, building you don't, to. You don't this know. Is what this you're you're going to come out of it like you always do. If it like, doesn't end this way, I will be very shocked. Y- you know what, Adam? Like, <laughs> I, I, I see the issues, but damn, this has cult potential. Mark my words, Adam. This is going to be one of the greatest films ever in five years. Just you wait. Just you wait. If you want more of this bickering, come Urgh. next week. Tenant, we're doing it. Movies are back. I have to piss so bad. Yes, me too. I love you. Until next time. These are the officers talking to William Hayes. Billy, have you ever been in a, in a Turkish prison? <laughs> <laughs>